Do you have any tips or secrets for gauging the profitability of a business that's for sale? Whenever I'm buying a business, I would always go in as a customer first and just kind of get a vibe or feel of the business. Go in as a customer. If it's a restaurant, go have a dinner or lunch, whatever. See how the customer service is. See the quality of the food. So just kind of get get a general feel of the business. Um, then you move on to the next step. You have to really analyze the numbers um, to make sure that uh, you're not going to find out surprises later on when you close the deal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the long-awaited Upflip podcast, where we interview successful small business owners that start from nothing and now live the lives of their dreams. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And today we have Punardeep Sandhu, who goes by PD on our podcast. He was previously featured on our YouTube channel, where he spills the beans on how he was turning in $1 million in annual revenue with his bakery business. Back in August 2020, PD was acquiring multiple businesses and had his wild wheat bakery turn in some serious amounts of cash. We'll be checking up on his progress and how his business has evolved over these months, and it won't end there. We'll dive deeper and get to know how PD was able to acquire and run a gas station, two liquor stores, one restaurant, and a grocery store at the same time, all while being an immigrant from India. You'll also hear some fan questions from our YouTube channel. PD, welcome to the show. Uh, how have things been going since the last time we talked? Thanks for having me, Alex. Um, yeah, things uh, have been challenging in 2020, as we all know, but uh, looks like there is light at the end of the tunnel now. And uh, hopefully things will take turn towards the good. Uh, but we made it through. We survived. You know, I guess that's uh, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. How is how is Wild Wheat doing? Any any accomplishments or updates uh, specifically with Wild Wheat? Yeah, you know, we had to change our business model. Uh, obviously, to go more towards food delivery, um, as you all know. DoorDash and Uber and Grubhub, uh, those platforms uh, we used quite a bit and we also had our own direct delivery uh, to our own website so the business model had to change but we did okay obviously you know it's not the same as in-person dining but uh, we had we seen some good numbers you know with the with the online delivery and online ordering so we made it fine wild wheat being just one of the businesses that you own uh can you briefly talk us through the others um, yeah, so Wild Wheat Bakery in Kent is my bakery. Uh, we have a wholesale side to it. I also own a gas station in Chimacum, Washington. It's a Chevron station. And I also have uh, two liquor stores that I own in Bremerton and a grocery store in eastern Washington in Madawa. If anybody knows where Madawa is, but it's a small little town in eastern Washington. And I have a grocery store there. That was my latest acquisition. And did you did you buy all of those businesses or did you start some of them from scratch? Oh, no, they were all existing businesses. Um, so they were already there. I just bought them. What are the pros and cons of uh, buying a business that's already up and running? Well, the pros are that you already know that it's a, you know, it's a solid business. You know, you look at the numbers, you have data to go by. The cons, I would say, is that, you know, if the business has been there for so many years, there's, you know, it's already established. So there's not so much more you can add on or do additional things to it. There's still some things you can do, but you know it's already an established business. So I would say that's that's a con. But on the flip side, you know, pro is that you know it's it's an established business. You know the reputation. You can see the numbers. You know how good or bad it is, and then make your decision accordingly. What are what are some of the the factors that you look at when you're making that decision uh, specifically? You know, the main thing you got to look at is your your net profit, right? 
how much money it's making and and how much are they asking for it so if those numbers make sense to you then then go for it and another thing is operationally you have to see if that's something you can manage or you want to manage i guess mm. that's that's like the most important thing you know a lot of people get into business you know it's not always just going for the money but you also have to know what you know what excites you you know what you what you're passionate about what you enjoy doing because every business has its own challenges and uh, somebody might enjoy running a grocery store or somebody might hate running a grocery store so it's kind of like you have to know what gets you excited and then obviously you have to look at the numbers to back that up as you as you look at those numbers uh, what are some of the signs you're looking for uh, for it to be a smart buy and do you have any tips or secrets for for gauging the profitability of a business that's for sale whenever i'm buying a business i would always go in as a customer first and just kind of get a vibe or feel of the business uh, and, and see how I feel about it. Um, go in as a customer. If it's a restaurant, go have a dinner or lunch, whatever. See, you know, look around, see things, see how the staff is, see, see how the customer service is, see the quality of the food. And same thing with the grocery store. Go in, you know, buy buy a can of soda or, you know, buy some chips and see how, what kind of service you get. If the store is fully stocked, if the store is clean, how well it's being managed. So just kind of get get a general feel of the business. That's that's what I do, and uh, you know you go from there. If, if everything checks out okay, um, then you move on to the next step. Obviously, you know look at uh, look at the numbers, um, look at look at tax returns, and and you have to really analyze the numbers um, because you're making a big investment just by looking at what the seller is providing you, right? So you really have mm-hmm. to do do your due diligence in in looking at the numbers, question those numbers. If you have any questions or if you're not clear on certain things, a lot of times people will put in expenses and, you know, so you have to question everything, right? You have to know why this is there, what is this about? So you really have to do your due diligence to make sure that uh, you're not going to find out surprises later on when you close the deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all That's all really great advice. Um, how, had, how have you been able to finance your purchases of these businesses and what's the best way to secure funding as a serial entrepreneur? So, you know, obviously you have to have good credit score. You have to have a good track record. Um, fortunately for me, we have multiple business already. So when we approach a bank, um, they look at obviously the buyer and the business. So, you know, I find deals that make sense to me financially. If the numbers are strong, there are banks that are more willing to lend you money on that business because even the banks know it's a solid business and, you know, the cash flow is there to pay the loans and whatnot. Obviously, you also have to get, you know, have a good track record with the banks on your existing loans and whatever you have, on-time payments, excellent credit score. So if you have those things in your favor, then I don't think it's it's an issue because there are there are, um, agencies out there, banks out there that are, that are willing to lend. You, know, you have to remember, banks also make money when they lend. Mm-hmm. So it's in their best interest as well. If if someone did lack uh, their their own financial resources, whether that might be you know bad credit or uh, just a, you know a lack of cash on hand, how could they get started without money? Are there sources of funding they should explore? You know there are obviously uh, like hard money lenders out there, but they charge you know a crazy amount of interest rate, like ten percent or something ridiculous, even higher maybe. So if you are desperate for cash, if you cannot find cheap cash or you know uh, money. From banks, that's an avenue you can you can go, but it has to be short, short term, right? If if you just need a little bit of money just to get you started in something, and then you have the ability to pay that back to that, I mean, that's an option, right? It's not a cheap option, but there is it's an option mm-hmm. for people that you know cannot get conventional financing. 
maybe borrow money from friends and family, you know, for on a short term basis. And another thing you could do is like when you when you buy a business, when you get into it, when you close the deal, you can always refinance, right? So when you mm-hmm. have a business, you buy it, you close the deal, run it for a couple of years, you you could see the cash flow, you have tax returns to to show the bank, and then you go about getting it refinanced. So that's an option. And when you do that, you could pay those people back. So that's also something to look for, you know, to look at. All of that really great advice. So if you, so to our listeners, uh, just briefly, if you're, if you are interested in acquiring a business, you can do that on upflip.com, um, with all of these different methods of financing that purchase, perhaps, uh, PD, when you buy a new business, do you start making changes right away or do you, do you settle in first and how do you plan and implement those changes as the new owner of an existing business? So I don't always make changes. I mean, I'm very tempted to at times, you know, because I have my vision and and an image of that business. So I want to implement that right away. But you have to be careful because uh, you don't want to go in and and stir too many things uh, with the current existing flow. You have to keep in mind, you know, how the existing employees are used to running that place. So you have to get them on your side first, you know, get get their comfort level up with you because they don't know you. And once that happens, once the dust settles, then you can slowly implement things that that you would like, you know, according to your needs. So, yeah, no, I always wait at least, you know, six months to a year, depending on what sort of changes, if it's personnel, procedure changes, I always wait. You know, for me, it's like, let's close the deal, get comfortable with the business, let it run as business as normal, and, and then slowly introduce those changes. I think that that prevents a lot of commotion in the beginning and it might scare off some people and they might leave and that's going to cause problems for you. You don't want that, especially with the given market, with the employment, it's already hard to find people as it is. Mm. So that, that's what I do. As you look at growing revenue uh, in your various businesses, uh, does it differ from one business to the next or are there any universal strategies that can help scale any business? I think there are some universal strategies across the board, but each business has to be looked at individually and figure out what is it that you could do to increase revenue. You know, how how do you increase sales? Is it new products that you introduce? Is it better marketing, more advertisement? What is it? So you have to really look at each business. But those those marketing and advertisement is is a general broader spectrum, right? You could do that for any business and, and that's going to help you in the long run. But you also have to do the cost benefit analysis and, and, and see whether it's worth it or not, uh, whether you know there are other strategies that you need to do. So I look at each individual business and then see what is the best possible way to increase revenue. You mentioned marketing in particular there. Who handles marketing for each of your businesses and what's your overarching marketing strategy? Uh, so we you know, try to do our social media marketing. Obviously, I have a company that I hired and they do all the, the social media. They handle all the social media stuff for me uh, just because I don't have the time to do so. And you have to really be on it and be active on it for to gain followers and put out good content. I just started doing that not too long ago. And so far, I've seen good results with it. So that's, that's what we primarily focus on. We would do some print media advertisements as well. But uh, I don't feel that gets the same level of excitement, you know, as social media does because it's instant. People get to see it on their phones right away. So I'm more focusing towards digital or social media marketing. And like I said, I have a company that does all that for me. 
Now you also, you know, you have uh, many different types of businesses. And so can you market a, a restaurant the same way you're marketing your gas station or the liquor store? Um, and how much does the type of business affect your marketing approach? So that's a good question. On the restaurant side or the bakery side, you can be very creative with your marketing, right? You can introduce new products, new desserts, new new pastries and, you know, put them on Facebook or social media and people look at that stuff and, and you know, they want to get it. You know, it's 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 basically what I should say is you, you can be more creative with that. But on the gas station side, let's say, for example, or a liquor store, that's more like a convenience part, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people go there just for convenience. So I don't think it's going to have the same effect marketing a Chevron station, let's say, for example, right? People who are brand loyal, they're all, they're going to come there. If your location is solid, they are going to stop, get gas or whatever they need to. So I feel that aspect of it where it's a convenience store or, you know, it's just, it's going to attract people for other reasons already. It's not going to be the same as where I can be creative, come up with new products, new cakes, new pastries, new items or whatever it is, new menu items that I can get more people in, whether it's offering vegan dishes or, you know, vegetarian items, I can hit those different customer bases. So I think there's more flexibility, so to say, in terms of marketing with those kind of businesses, the restaurant or bakery, as opposed to a convenience store. And if, if someone has a limited advertising budget, uh, what, what type of advertising gives them the best bang for their buck? What cheaper free marketing strategies are consistently effective? You know, uh, I would say use social media. That is something you could do yourself. Um, the thing with me is since I manage so many other businesses, I don't always have the time or I'm not at a particular location. So if you are running just one business, you have a little coffee shop, you could be your own social media uh, marketer. You could take pictures and post it right away. You could offer a special for the day and then just say that if you come in between a certain time, you get you know 10% off or 15% off. You could do that when you're there, right? You could take pictures of items in your store, post them online. So you can, be, you can do that by yourself. Uh, it doesn't work for me because I cannot travel different places in a day and, you know, and do that. So mm-hmm. I have my managers that just work with our social media company and they, they, they tell them what they would like to promote and then the company blasts it out. But yeah, social media is, I think, a great tool for somebody who's starting out their own business and, and do it yourself. As you, as you look at your, your portfolio of businesses, uh, which, which one is the most profitable and the, the least profitable? And is that something that's consistent um, or does it, you know, fluctuate month to month where one is more profitable one month, one is the next month? Yeah, there is, you know, there is fluctuation, uh, obviously, because during given the time of the year, like say, for example, Christmas or holiday time, like the time we're getting into now, October, November, December, this is actually a great time for my liquor business, you know, because there's parties, Christmas parties, and people are just in a good mood, you know, around this time of the year. So the liquor business goes up. And December is one of our strongest months. You know, you have Christmas, you have New Year's, you know, Thanksgiving is there in November. So now we're getting into a time where I will see an uptake in, in, uptake in the business uh, of liquor. At the same time, maybe I'll see a little dip in uh, the bakery business or the restaurant business because, you know, that's a busy time for in the summertime it's longer days people are out and about until late at night so we see more for traffic you know when the weather gets colder it's rainy you know people tend to just stay home or they don't want to go out as much as they would when it's 75 degrees out so it all it all really depends in the time of the year 
As you as you have uh, you know expanded your portfolio, and as other as our listeners might be looking to expand their portfolio, do you think it is a strategic advantage to have businesses in different industries? Is that one of your strategic advantages as a as a business owner? I think it definitely plays to your advantage. And just having multiple businesses in different areas, um, one thing you can do is you could. You could cross, uh, what do you call, like cross merchandise or cross reference. A lot of things that you do, like your, let's say, for example, your buying power as well, right? You're buying something from a vendor for a particular location, and that vendor offers the same or a similar thing for a, that you could use at a different business. So you could, you have more negotiating power there, right? So you could work with that vendor and 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 tell them, hey, look, if I buy such and such amount from you for this store and buy a different item in this quantity. So they're more tend to give you a better deal. So I strongly believe that it does play into your advantage. And not just that, even with the employees. So let's say you have, you know, 60, 70 people that work under you. You can move people around. So if you see somebody's a good Mm -hmm. fit, you know, but you need an employee at a different location, you could always move that person there. So I I feel that's an advantage. Uh, you You have more flexibility. Awesome. So we've now hit the point of our show where we're going to do our fan blitz questions. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and just feel free to give, you know, a couple really short 20 seconds answer to these questions, uh, which come from our viewers of our YouTube channel. Uh, most of them coming from your your appearance on the YouTube channel, which uh, listeners, if you haven't checked out the Uplip YouTube channel, make sure you go do that. Uh, find Uplip on YouTube. Great, great business insight videos for you there. So PD, Andrew Morris is asking how to transition from a solo operator to having employees and when to start hiring. That's a great question. Uh, you have to realize the point where you can no longer do it yourself. So if you know if it's taking too much time out of your day, you're not able to complete tasks that you you know you should be completing that day, you know it's time to hire help. So so don't just go down the lane too long, overstressing yourself because you'll burn out and you don't want to do that. And so figure out a point where you think you cannot accomplish everything that you need to do in a day. That'll give you an idea on when, when you need to hire help. Maybe it's part-time help to begin with, but uh, don't overstress yourself. Mahad is asking, uh, is business acquisition a good way to grow instead of starting businesses from scratch? Uh, if you could talk to maybe the, the pros of acquisition versus uh, the cons of maybe starting from scratch. The, the pros of acquisition is that you already know you are buying something that's established. So it, it's a safer bet. Starting something from scratch is, is a blank slate. You don't know. It's a, it's a high risk. For me, I don't like to take that risk, so I always go for acquisitions. But if you have a great idea you believe in, then maybe starting your own is the way to go. And Garrett Stevenson asked, what was the key to scaling your businesses? I would say um, just trusting people and giving them responsibility which frees you up to do other things and look for other businesses. Like I said before, always be working on the business rather than in the business. Because if you're in the business, you don't have the time or the capacity to look at other Mm. things that are out there. Fantastic. So those were our fan blitz questions. So listeners, uh, head over to the YouTube channel, ask questions in the comments, ask questions in the comments on this episode, and we will keep those questions coming. PD, uh, every industry has faced challenges during the pandemic. Uh, which business of yours was the most affected by COVID and the, the least affected? And how did you navigate the different restrictions and changes uh, as an owner of businesses in multiple industries? So um, obviously, the restaurant industry was hit the hardest. But on the flip side, 
we did really well with the liquor business, uh, believe it or not, because people were home, bars were closed, restaurants were closed, and they were just drinking more. So for me, that sort of offset the losses that I was facing at the restaurant with, with uptick in sales in the liquor business. So that's an example of having you know diversification in different industries. So that worked out good for me. Um, but yeah, my restaurant business was obviously the hardest hit. And, you know, we had to make changes. We had to take in measures uh, like masks and gloves and hand sanitizers uh, everywhere. So, you know, it was an increased cost for us as well. And it still is uh, just so we can meet with the state guidelines on what they tell us that we need to do. Which of, the, which of your businesses is the most stressful to operate and uh, why? What are the frustrating aspects of that business? You know, I won't say there's any one particular business that gives me more stress. I mean, that's an ability that you, you need to have to be able to take stress because in business, things have to happen when they have to happen. There is no putting things off. Like It's not like, okay, I'll come tomorrow in the office and I'll take care of it then. Well, there are some things you could do that on, but you have to be ready. You know, that, that's, that's how your mindset needs to be. So there's constant issues with people, with customers, and this, this, it's just never ending. So you just have to develop that mindset that, you know what, you're ready. Whatever comes your way, you deal it with the best possible way you can at the time and move on to the next problem. So I, I, that's, that's the advice I would give. Of all the business types you own, which would be the best choice for a first-time entrepreneur and why? You know, if somebody's buying something for the first time, I would say obviously an established business like a convenience store would be the the way to go if they can find the right location. Because like I said, you know, it, it's an established business. People come there for convenience if it's a good location. And uh, it's not too much high risk in that aspect. Anything like restaurant business, you know, obviously, you know, it's the number one failed business in the U.S. People start and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. But convenience store, like a gas station, it's, it's I think, ideal. You know, people have to get gas. They, they need to get groceries inside or snacks, whatever, when they're traveling. So in my opinion, that's a safe bet for somebody starting out. And what systems do you use that let you manage all of these businesses at once? How do you make sure nothing's getting overlooked as a multi-business owner? So, you know, there's obviously you have to use technology to your advantage. The thing that works for me is I also have a bachelor's in computer science. Uh, so I have a technology background. Matter of fact, I worked for a technology company for many years before I ventured out on my own. So I have some skill level there that I can use to my advantage, whether it's uh, having high-tech camera systems and, or a centralized uh, computer network system where you can access the computers in the store at any time, see what's going on. You can check on sales. You know, Obviously, you can look at cameras and, and see what's happening at what store at any given point of time from your phone. So that, I think, is, is, is uh, extremely beneficial if you could do that, use technology to your advantage. Do you have any uh, specific tools or processes that you rely on uh, to stay organized? Well, there are tools available like, you know, online that, you know, you could integrate your entire camera systems onto your... There's a bunch of different apps that you could download um, and each system is different. So you have to, you know, have an app just for that. But uh, that's really what I have. I don't really have a set. I mean, procedurally, yeah, I have some certain procedures that I, you know, dictate in the stores on what the managers and all those employees have to follow in terms of running the day-to-day operation. Then that came with trial and error, right? Work, you know, figuring out what works over the years and fine-tuning that. And even 
till date, I'm fine tuning certain things that I could do better or more efficiently uh, where I can, you know, save save time and money because uh, at the end of the day, it's all about efficiency. But technology-wise, I I have uh, some inbuilt software that, um, you know, for the cameras that I use at my stores and they work great for me. There's, there's a bunch of companies out there that, that offer surveillance software. You just have to do your research and see what works best for you. And what's your leadership style in the business? How do you provide strong leadership to all of your businesses when you can't physically be in them all the time? You know, one thing I don't do is I don't micromanage my people. So if I have a meeting once a week with my store managers, I lay out a list of things that we need to do. And after that, I'm not going to ask them during the week, hey, where are you at with this? I, so I don't bombard them with too much uh, communication, but they know that when I come back the week after, they need to have all the answers for me. So it's like, I give them the freedom. I give them, okay, hey, this is what we need to do. This is when it needs to get done. You go do it. And they know, they appreciate that more uh, rather than me being on their case all the time, which can frustrate employees sometimes. So they know that, you know, if this is a task that they've been given, uh, they, they work on their own schedule as long as the task gets done on time. So I would say I don't, micromanage too much. Uh, I don't get too involved in their day-to-day, but at the same time, I have an expectation that they know has to be met. And how do you fi- how do you find, hire, and uh, keep those effective managers for your businesses? What are you looking for in a management candidate? You know, one of the major skills or the main things they have to uh, have is, is people management, right? I cannot emphasize how important that is. Um, you know, at this level, business is going to run fine. You'll have you know, somebody stand behind a counter and, and take customers all day long. But it's it's how you how you keep your people happy. How do you connect with them? Like 80% of my time, I would say, is just people management. You know, figuring out who's not happy, what do I need to do? When do I have to have that one-on-one conversation with who do I need to have that? So somebody who understands people, who's a good person or a people's manager, is, is the kind of person I look for. Because that's, that's something that you can't teach people. Everything else you can teach them, you know, how to follow a process or what you need to do. That job duties can be taught, but that nature or that thing that you, you, you is just nice to people or, or have a way of communicating effectively. That, that mm-hmm. is something that I look for. And then how many hours uh, are you working every week and how much of that time do you put into each business? How are you dividing that up? So for me, um, I attend, I, I like to have one meeting with my managers at each location once a week at least so let's say on monday i go to my gas station on tuesday i'll go to my store in eastern washington wednesday i go to my bakery uh, thursday i keep for myself to catch up with all the paperwork and then friday is sort of like where do i need to go again you know if if there is some place or something that i need to do I'll, I'll, I'll keep that day fridays for that but i tend to you know i like to go and have a in-person meeting at least mm-hmm. once a week, and then the rest of the week, we can communicate via phone or emails. And what parts of operating a business does the owner need to take a hands-on role in, and which things are better to delegate? And how do you assess where your time is best spent as a business owner? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, delegation can be done, and you can delegate as much as you like, depending on your comfort level with what you're willing to give control of to your employees. And that comes with time. Um, you know, f- once you realize that you have your inner circle, you have your top players that are key in your team. So you could delegate more responsibilities to them over time, you know, operationally, financial responsibilities, whatever it is. So that that's really where you have to 
you don't want to give too much control too soon and you don't want to keep doing everything yourself either. So you have to kind of have a balance between how much are you able to or willing to give over as control and still keep an eye on it, you know, sort of like overseeing it, make sure that things don't go out of hand too quick, too soon. So for me, it's more like just identifying the key players in my team and understanding how much of a role they can take or they can handle how much of a load I should be giving them. So again, that goes back to people management, right? It's like figuring out who can handle what sort mm-hmm. of thing and then kind of go from there. When you buy a business, do you have an exit plan in place for them? Um, or And what is your goal for your, for your businesses? Do you want to keep them long-term or fix and flip them? So for me, it's I don't buy businesses to fix and flip them. Uh, for me, it's it's to... If the business is not giving me a headache, if it's not something that is, you know, keeping me up at night, then I'm keeping it. There's no reason. In business, you don't you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, my mindset is that, okay, you know, if it's not a problem, child, it's, it, you know, if it's not giving me too much stress, then, then why sell it? You know, keep building that asset base. How do you know when it is the right time to sell a business? And what does that process look like? You know, honestly, I haven't sold anything ever since I bought my businesses. So I don't know what, <laughs> what it would take for me to sell it, sell something. I mean, I, I have had people approach me many times uh, making an offer to buy. But uh, then again, you have to see what are you going to do after you sell it, right? I mean, mm. you could sell it for a bunch of money now, but then what are you going to do? you got to pay capital gains tax on it. You might not find the same numbers again, or you not might not find the same location again. So you have to look at all those things, right? I know people look at, you know, making a quick, quick buck here and there, that's fine. But that's not my business model. If it's not giving you headaches, why sell it? Yeah. Yeah. Are there any types of business you haven't worked with yet, but want to? If you were to buy another business today, what industry are you looking to target? And there's there's a lot of a lot of things out there. Um, I'd be interested to look into the, the marijuana business and see where that goes. You know, obviously, there's a bunch of gray area with it right now in terms of regulation and nobody really knows but that's something that i'm watching closely and and see which direction that is going to go i think that'd be interesting one to go (laughs) yeah one last question for you what's your next step as a business owner keep looking for more businesses man (laughs) (laughs) keep looking for better deals out there and uh, see if you can find something to work on next yeah, that's oh, well, PD. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. A uh, lot of incredible, great insight. Uh, and for those of you that haven't watched the YouTube video uh, of our interview with PD, uh, make sure you go check that out as well. Uh, PD, thank you so much. Any last last thoughts for our listeners? No, thanks for uh, first of all, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Well, you know, all I would say is. Um, do what your gut says. Don't overthink things too much because once you're in a situation, you are going to find out a way to make that situation work for you. So I've, I know people that you know get too caught up into doing their research and whatnot. Honestly, I do that, but I don't do it to that extent. For me, it's more like if I get a good gut feeling, if I know I'm willing to sacrifice myself to do whatever it's going to take to make that business successful you got to make that call because sometimes if you wait too long, you might never make that call. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel and our blog where we interview and share some useful resources and tools for business owners by going to upflip.com slash blog. And I want to ask you all to help share and spread the word about this podcast to help us grow and continue to create this content for our fans and listeners. 
Thank you all so much, PD. Thank you again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye.